Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. Yes, you can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com, or you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up, former Miss Ireland and model Aoife Walsh on why she's decided to talk about her IBS and break the poo taboo. She'll be telling us about an upcoming event happening in Cork where people can find out information about all related illnesses around IBS and Crohn's. And Emer Daily brings us the latest in wellness news, including how to spot the signs of sepsis. And it's more testing for me as I get my fitness levels checked with Andrew Dunn of Personal Health. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? I was struck down this week. Regular listeners will know I do not like to get sick. I always feel I've let a pillar of health slip. And to be honest, I let several pillars slip on a night out on the town on Saturday night and I pushed what was a teetering virus that my son had over the edge into a full blown felt it for 48 hours. So I spent this week more surviving than thriving, to be honest. And I must say, I am so pulled into discussions of an alcohol-free life. I'm sober curious. My interest is piqued by talk of more clarity, energy, focus, but I swing between that and the new outlook I took on about life and well-being in the last few years. And I want to say yes to joy. And sometimes that involves a cocktail or sometimes that involves more than one. I'm not saying a sober life is a joyless life, but this is the pendulum swing I am on. But look, it was still a good week. I just put rest even higher on the agenda than normal with some early nights. But life rumbled on and I kept all the things that keep me together up. Morning meditation, walk to school, which I've really got into, a couple of strength sessions in the gym, home cooking food while throwing my eye on the homework. I have just about figured out what's working for me and I'm sticking with it. And if I'm really honest, it's only in recent months that I've truly began to feel like myself again. I didn't for a long time. There had been a lot of change in my life, as I've discussed here every week on the show, as there is, I know, in everybody's COVID. My dad died. My sister moved away. We moved house, jumping into the unknown of moving in with my mum not knowing what our next move was necessarily, changes in my friendship groups. It all just rocked the foundations of what had previously held me up and I had to dig really deep to figure it all out. And that's the thing with health and well-being. It's never just one thing that sorts everything out, one supplement, one gym session, one talk with a friend. It's all of those and it's taking small steps. Sometimes those steps go backwards again, but learning as you go. And I listened to a brilliant podcast on one of my walks this week with psychologist Dr. Claudette Campbell, the wellness psychologist, and Neve Cullen. And Neve was speaking her unspoken, which is the name of the podcast. And she spoke so openly and honestly about falling into a depressive state. It's well worth a listen, as is the entire bank of episodes there now. And Cloda gives some brilliant advice for people struggling at the end of the interview. She talks about how it can be so tricky when you're in a low mood or a depressive state to consider any of the usual things that make a difference, how you can embrace connection with others when the thoughts of meeting people fills you with dread. How can you exercise when you don't even want to get out of bed? How can you be taking on mindfulness when the last thing you want to be is alone with your thoughts? And she said the best place to always start is with your GP. 
have the conversation, tell them how you're feeling, discuss treatment options, which don't always include medication. Even that first step of admitting that there's something going on and asking for help will go a long way. I just thought that was amazing advice from a brilliant podcast series and two incredible women that I thought was well worth sharing. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Now, Emer Daly of Daily Wellbeing joins me in studio now to bring us the latest in health and wellness news. Well, Emer, you're very welcome. Thank you, Claire, for having me. I love being here as always. It's probably been a month since we've last spoken. How has your health and wellness been this month? It has. We've taken a bit of a break, but it's been good. I loved the few spells of sunshine we had. And now we're here with a different forecast, but still loving it. I only feel ready to accept the change in season because we got that little last blast of summer. Yeah. And now bring on the crunchy leaves, the crisp skies and the Halloween. Let's get into it. Um, Sepsis Awareness Day took place this month and with it a lot of information. Yeah, so Sepsis Awareness Day was the 13th of September this month and I had the pleasure of chatting to Ashling O'Rourke, who is raising awareness for World Sepsis Day as her father passed away from sepsis, John, who was 67. Um, and she gave me some great insights into why we should be so aware of sepsis um, in ourselves and in the people that we know and love, because it's something that really is treacherous on the body and more people are actually passing away from sepsis than a heart attack each year. So it really is very crucial for us to have this kind of awareness in our life. And what is sepsis? What's happening in the body? So sepsis actually takes place in the body when there's already an infection there. And if we're not treating it properly or getting the right medication, it's developing into a more extreme infection in the body. And that's when it can be life-threatening. So the signs and symptoms to kind of look out for, they've made it really, really easy of actually using the word sepsis. And you're going to focus on looking at the first, all the letters, the first letter of the word. So the first S is for that slurred speech. If you're seeing yourself or a loved one with slurred speech, the E would stand for being in extreme pain. So kind of feeling a pain that you never have really felt before. The P would stand for passing urine and that would mean you're not passing urine in 12 hour zones. So if you haven't passed urine in 12 hours, that's a, a big sign into having sepsis in the body. Shortness of breath is another big one. The I stands for I feel like I'm dying. So that's a very extreme one if you actually feel like the person is saying I've I mean, there is an oversense of doom on them almost. And then the last S there is skin. So the changes of the colour in the skin, um, you'll, you'll notice that the person is looking not as they usually do. And Ashling has said that if you do see signs of sepsis in yourself or someone else, the first thing to do is pick up the phone, ring 999, get the medical team out there and say, I suspect that it is sepsis and bring that up uh, to the medical team. Yeah, because you'd imagine if there is an infection, um, like a urinary tract infection or somebody is very unwell and you're thinking it's it's flu, quite yeah. often we just bundle somebody up on the couch and, and, and wait yeah. for things to get better. And that's really understandable. But to have these things to really watch out for, don't be afraid to make that phone call and, yeah. and you know, just to confirm one thing or another, because... I think it's incredible that Ashling has stepped out as an advocate now because, you know, she did the best that she could for her dad. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure she has regrets and she doesn't want people to go through what she and her family did. Absolutely. One of the things she said to me on the phone was, you know, you see the ads on the television, but when it's actually happening to like someone in your life, 
do we actually know the signs and symptoms? And what she's trying to do now is make sure that everybody in every community does know the symptoms of sepsis. And if people want to find out more information, you can go to the HSE website and put sepsis in and you can get that acronym again. Now, overwhelm, that's something you hear time and time again now in wellness discussions, burnout and overwhelm. But you have some remedies for us to help ease the overwhelm. A few nice remedies to just help calm our brains down. And I think exactly like you said, we're all overwhelmed all the time and Meditation might be something for everybody, but if there's things we can do throughout our day, and Claire, I know you're a great advocate for what's on our plate is helping us how we feel. I have a few foods um, and lavender remedies that can really, really help us. So foods that are high in B1, they're going to have that calming effect on the overall body. And that can be anything from whole grains, nuts, seeds. I think seeds are great to just like lash into porridge, get it in first thing in the morning. Uh, Legumes as well. I find them quite challenging to actually put into the diet. But if you're a better cook than I am, lash them in and get it in. So that's the peas, beans and lentils. Yeah, yeah. So really, I wouldn't actually have a clue what to be doing with them. But I think... If ever I make a soup, I always throw in a tin of chickpeas and blend it all up. And it's a good way of adding protein as well to like a a veggie soup. Uh, Bolognese is another thing to make with lentils if you want to make it meat free. Mm -hmm. But you can also lash it in with the mince. I often sneak in a few lentils to the family. The kids are actually onto it recently, but (laughs) they just get told, eat up. This is what you're getting. Just add it in to those kind of soupy, saucy type things that you're making. Yeah. That's the way that that I would I would recommend. Definitely, I think that's the best way to do it. Kind of already incorporating it into a meal that you know and love. Um, so another one for kind of a mood booster is peanuts and eggs. Um, and also things to avoid is also important. Is obviously alcohol and caffeine because they can kind of heighten your sense of overwhelm. But another one I have here is lavender. Lavender is really really great for calming down stress and anxiety. And It can even help us get into a bit of a deeper sleep. And I think it's a really nice time to kind of, even if you have an essential oil, pop that on your face just before you head to sleep. And you'll feel that kind of over feeling coming over your body that you're relaxing, you're calming down. You'll go into a bit of a deeper sleep. And also another really nice exercise. You might have seen it in maybe the end of a yoga class, but you could do it at home. Just putting some lavender essential oil on the palms of your hands placing the palms of your hands over your face and just doing kind of a few inhales and exhales. So you're really getting the benefits of the lavender in through the breathing exercises. And that's just a really nice one to kind of calm down the overall nervous system. Yeah. And before you put it on skin, you want it to be in sort of an oil and there's there's loads available. But I love ground well-being and Peggy and Crowley is amazing on this. I've been getting a lot of her emails and I think we think aromatherapy is just something, you know, that's kind of just a nice thing. But actually, there's a lot of science behind it. And when you're breathing it in, it's getting into your bloodstream. And also when you're putting it on your skin, like there are two different ways for you to really feel that physical Mm -hmm. benefit. It's not just something that is a nice smell, which can be calming in itself. Yeah, absolutely. I think lavender really just hits all all the marks. It has anti-inflammatories. It's actually good for our gut as well. We're all obsessed with the gut health at the moment. Or even I was pulling out a dress from my sister's wardrobe the other day. You know, the little pockets of lavender you can have hanging on your clothes. That's even a really nice one to do as well. Because smell's a huge thing because it can really evoke 
memory, um, you know, that if ever there's a, a smell of, you know, a place you went on holidays or a meal you had or, you know, anything like that, it can bring you right back. So yeah. I think if you start to associate the smell of lavender with winding down and getting yourself calm, your body remembers that and mm-hmm. it does kind of get jerked back to it. I have been meditating consistently. I mean, look, I bang on about this stuff all the time and I forget it and think, mm, yeah, I don't really have time for that. But I've been getting up ahead of the school run and the kids and I've been sitting doing it. And it is incredible the impact it has on your mind to bring yourself clarity and to stay a bit calmer through the madness. So I'm going to give that a definite thumbs up. And you are perhaps recommending a friendship coach for us in your last story? Friendship coaches are on the rise and I know we might get a bit of eye rolling here. We've all kinds of coaches at the moment. Relationships, physical coaches, anything can be a coach now. But um, the LA Times has actually said that friendship coaches are on the rise and I'm kind of here for it. I really do get it. I think it's the 21st century and a lot of us do find it even maybe hard to make friends, maintain friends or kind of let friends go that have been in our life and they're not really serving us. They're not really adding to our well-being. So friendship coaches are here to kind of be that outside perspective, give you that advice. You can do friendship coaching either in like a one-to-one setting with a coach or go to friendship meeting circles. And they'd kind of give you a few activities to do and maybe focus on listening, empathy or even just put yourself out of the comfort zone as well. But really what is happening here is to be aware of the difference between a coach and a therapist and go into any kind of coaching with an open mind and know the reason you're there. So a coach is there to help you with things like meeting your goals, life skills, focusing on a goal that you want to achieve and helping you support you through kind of day-to-day activities. Whereas it's good to know that a therapist is there to diagnose and help with mental health issues. And there's a a correct definition there as well for that. But I think the main thing is to be open-minded to whatever comes up during the coaching session. Yeah, because our friendship circles are a huge part of our life and they can really, you know, add value to our life and they can also pull areas of our life down if there's stress there. I'm a big fan of the podcaster and journalist Elizabeth Day and her last book, Friendaholic dealt with all of that and she said we've so much advice and language around romantic relationships Mm -hmm. but we don't really have it in friendships and something that really blew my mind in the book she spoke about we all have different friendship values so for me I like to be a pick up where you left off kind of person you might not necessarily see each other for a while but there's no issues there but other people want kind of constant contact and you know what if you've got two different friends Mm. you can kind of cause issues without necessarily meaning to. Mm -hmm. So these sort of conversations and this sort of understanding is quite necessary. Absolutely. I think friendships are becoming just as important in our life as the marriage or family relationships because, you know, a lot of us are going through life in different ways now. You might be travelling with friends, travelling solo, and it's just kind of good to be aware of the way you want your friendships to be and how you want to treat your friends as well. So I think this is one that could actually be beneficial to a lot of people out there. Well, Emer, I value this friendship. <laughs> As always, I value this friendship and being in this surrounding. <laughs> Will you tell people about your podcast and where they can find you on Instagram? Absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram at daily underscore wellbeing and my podcast, Figuring It Out, that is on Spotify. I chat to wellbeing experts like yourself, Claire, and personal stories of people's journeys and just figuring out what's going on in the world today. Well, Emer Daly, thank you so much. Thank you.
Coming up after the break, former Miss Ireland Aoife Walsh on why she's decided to speak about her diagnosis of Crohn's. Alive and kicking on News Talk. Now, Aoife Walsh is a former secondary school teacher who went on to win Miss Ireland in 2013. She spent years modelling around the world and documents her life and love of fashion on Instagram. She's a mum to toddler Penny and lives a busy and full life. And she also has the inflammatory bowel disease condition known as Crohn's. And Aoife joins me on the line now. Aoife, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. As I said in the introduction there, you are one very impressive individual. You share so much on social media and I have to say I've been very impressed watching you in recent times. You've been very honest about becoming a single parent. Um, I was cheering you on when you posted the keys to your home. Um, You're a former Miss Ireland, which doesn't come easy either. Um, And you're also a Crohn sufferer. Um, So you've you've a lot going on and you just push on. Absolutely, yeah. It's been a busy, a busy couple of years indeed. And um, yes, as you mentioned, I, I am a Crohn sufferer, and that's something I suppose not a lot of people um, would have realised. Um, I only recently actually opened up um, about my diagnosis, even though I have actually had Crohn's disease since I was a teenager. So I got diagnosed first um, when I was actually nineteen, and it was only this year I actually opened up about um, my my condition. So tell us about your, your teens and, and what led to that diagnosis. Yeah, so, um, you know, back in 19, you know, you're in college, you know, you're having a good time. And all of a sudden, I started to get these symptoms. And it was really, you know, I had pain in my belly. Um, I had diarrhea, you know, really bad chronic fatigue, um, a loss of appetite, weight, weight loss. Just in general, I felt absolutely miserable in myself. And I kind of felt like I knew something wasn't right. Like I knew something was up, but I just was putting it like on the long finger. I suppose I I kind of was hoping that it would just go away by itself on its own. But of course, it never did. And I eventually... um, went and I seeked med- medical attention and um, I, I then was diagnosed um, shortly after with Crohn's disease. And I suppose it took me so long to go and seek that medical attention because I was just a bit embarrassed about it, to be honest. I suppose, you know, there's not that much talk about bowel-related um, issues and bowel-related problems. So I suppose I kind of just had that little bit of embarrassment. And I do kind of feel there is that kind of societal and stigma around bowel-related issues. It is just that little embarrassing thing. But, you know, because I waited so long to go and get it seen, I I suffered a lot um, because of that, and my body suffered a lot because of it. So looking back now, I wish I had just kind of bit the bullet and went and got it seen to. And I suppose that's kind of what I, I want to kind of share the message of now, is that if any of those symptoms that I called out there sound familiar to you, or if you have any of those symptoms, to not shy away and, you know, go into your doctor and and get it checked out. Yeah, and that's why the name of the the campaign is Poo Taboo. And you're Mm -hmm. right, nobody really likes to to talk about that. But that's a real indicator of what's going on in your body. I mean, we all digest food. We all excrete that then. And it should be working in a particular way. And if it's not, that's a real indication to seek medical advice. I mean, everybody's got a toilet in their house. It's so strange that we just secret suffer. 
absolutely 100%. I mean, it's the most normal and natural thing in the world, but just nobody talks about it. And you're right, that's where the campaign hashtag came about, um, poo to boo, and, you know, that we, we just don't talk about it. Um, but, you know, I'm trying to kind of change that message as well and, like, you know, not to be embarrassed because a lot of Crohn's um, sufferers, they do get diagnosed in their in their late teens or their 20s, early 30s. It's, it, it can be quite common around that age. Even children can get diagnosed. So it's so important just to kind of open up um, the conversation about bowel-related issues, um, inflammatory bowel disease, and that is um, Crohn's disease, which is what I have, and it, it also relates to um, colitis as well. And just to, just to not shy away or be embarrassed about it. So how did you feel when you got that diagnosis? I mean, you had a kind of a journey of, of learning to, to go on, to understand the condition, to understand the treatments, to understand what living with that was going to be. But was there almost a relief in getting an answer to what had been going on? Yeah, absolutely. I think when you get a diagnosis of having a chronic um, disease and it's a long-term disease, you have it for life, um, you know, it can be really scary, to be honest. It can be really overwhelming. You're just completely overwhelmed by this news. But I think one of the things that's really important to do if you do get a diagnosis is that, um, you know, having family and friends know what's going on. Um, they can really help to understand your condition and support you through that. And, you know, not to kind of let the condition or diagnosis isolate you. And, you know, I'm really, really lucky. Like, I have an amazing um, family and friend support system. And, you know, at the time when I got diagnosed, I was in college and, you know, I didn't want anyone to know what was going on. And, I, and again, that's something I look back on and I regret. So it's so important to have your um, support system around you. And as well, talk to your doctor. You know, I just think the more you know about your diagnosis, the more you understand it. Um, Those things can really, really help. And find out about things like um, what medication you're on. Um, And even if your medication is not working, go back to your doctor. You know, um, have an open um, communication there with him. There's IBD nurses, which is inflammatory bowel disease nurses as well, that you can go to. So there are lots of help out there. And of course, CCI, which is Crohn's Colitis Ireland, which I'm delighted to come on as an ambassador for. They are are doing amazing work um, supporting the IBD community. And they're really trying to improve the quality of life through advocacy. and events um, and they have an event coming up soon as well which um, which I'm really excited to be part of it's on um, on the 30th of September down in the Kingsley Hotel in Cork and I'm actually going to be on a panel discussion with um, the organisation I'm going to be joined with the um, head of medicine in UCC um, a psychologist and an IBD nurse as well and you know, it's just really important to open up that conversation about bowel disease. And, you know, we're going to be chatting about what it actually is, what is IBD, um, the challenges that are faced um, by people living with IBD, such as, you know, that societal embarrassment that, you know, I can totally relate relate to. And I totally, you know, hap- that happened to me. And, um, you know, some people as well would have challenges such as, you know, mental health, um, negative me- mental health um, issues, just, you know, in relation to receiving such, um, you know, such news that you have a chronic disease and just as well the stigma around bowel-related issues. Yeah, and I think it must be so nice to go and meet other people who can relate to what you're going through and to feel a little bit more understood as well as having the experts on stage to give you the information that you need. 
Absolutely, 100%. I mean, I'm really looking forward to meeting other people and, you know, sharing my story and hearing their story as well. You know, my story has been very much, um, you know, it's been a road and it's been full of ups and downs. You know, I've had some really, really good um, periods of remission where my um, disease has been quiet and, you know, I've had a really good quality of life. And then I've had some really, really tough months as well where I've had flare-ups. Um, I did experience some complications as well. Um, when I was 27, I actually, um, I broke my toe and um, I had an autoimmune response. And in turn, I actually developed uh, inflammatory arthritis, which is a complication that can come with having um, a disease like Crohn's disease. And then I suffered um, on and off as well with eye problems. I've had uveitis in the past. So those kind of things, you know, when you're experiencing them, they can be really scary and overwhelming and you don't know what's happening. Um, but so hearing different stories and hearing people go through it as well, um, you know, it can be really reassuring. And I think it's going to be a really insightful afternoon as well uh, with the medical and healthcare professionals there. So how much does living with Crohn's disease impact your day to day life? I mean, it's something that you you think about. Um, I remember when I was um, a teenager, I had to get used to taking medication. I had never taken medication before. Um, you know, I had to get used to taking it every day. And, um, you know, you have to watch things like your diet. Um, I know some things are just don't suit me from time to time. You know, everything in moderation, but a well-balanced diet is always um is always really important. Um, I treat my symptoms when when they arise and I try and just keep track of my conditions. So it's just something that I have to kind of mind um, in the in you know in the back of my head. Yeah, and I think sometimes that's why people kind of bury their head in the sand sometimes rather than seek medical attention because they think, oh no, I don't want to live differently. I don't want to constantly, you know, be ringing ahead to restaurants or I don't want to have to constantly tell my friends or get them to consider on a weekend away me and my Crohn's disease. But living with symptoms alone, you are still living differently and you are putting a lot more stress on yourself and your symptoms, um, with your symptoms. So... I think to seek the help, it obviously just knits into your way of life after a while. I'm sure it's not quite as overwhelming as it was originally. Absolutely not. You know what? It's it's I embrace it. It is part of my life. It's part of my journey. It's part of who I am. Um, I've had it for 15 years now and it has absolutely just knitted into my life. And if um, if symptoms arise, I, I deal with them. I look after them. I deal with it head on. And um, I, I get the medical attention that I need. And that's, I suppose, what part of the message that I want to, to put out there is to seek that medical attention because, you know, you're not always going to be in that flare and you're not always going to be, um, you know, having those symptoms. So the, the goal is to try and get into remission and to stay there as long as possible. Well, just to give people the details again, the Cork meetup mm-hmm. is happening on the 30th of September, so that's next weekend between 12 and 4.30. As Aoife mentioned, the day will have panel discussions which she'll be on, but there's also a host of experts who are there to answer questions on flare management, medication management, fatigue management, and there will be Q&As throughout the day. And not only can you sit and, and take it all in, but you'll get to meet other people who have an understanding of what you or somebody you know might be going through. And you'll find out all the information 
at crohnscolitis.ie. Well, as I said, Aoife, I'm a big fan. I'm always cheering you on when I see you <laughs> notch up another achievement that you post on social media. And this is just another thing, standing up as an ambassador in this campaign for you to add to your list of accolades. Wishing you all the best. Thank Health you. and happiness. Aoife Walsh, thank, thank you. you so much thank for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Coming up after the break, I get my fitness levels tested with Andrew Dunn of Personal Health. Alive and kicking on News Talk. Now, Andrew Dunn is a regular on the show. He's been on several times to talk about his area of expertise, medical exercise, and how he believes everyone should be prescribed exercise for health maintenance, for future proofing and from recovery from illness. When he asked if I'd like to come out to personal health to have my fitness levels tested, well, I was curious to see how I'd do. Right, so Andrew, what can I expect from today? Um, well, it's a one-hour test. Um, we're measuring four specific areas um, to get an overall picture of what your fitness levels are like. So we're, we're going to measure your strength, uh, upper limb, lower limb, all your major muscle groups. We're going to measure your cardiorespiratory fitness so how efficient your heart and lungs are uh, in terms of distributing pumping blood around the body and how well you use that and um, then we're going to measure um, areas around your mobility or flexibility uh, if we have time we might do some stuff around balance and agility and coordination if I'm still talking to you <laughs> and how do we do this is this all like machines and computers now or what yeah um, you're using clinical measuring equipment to get an exact um, amount of information that tells you how fit you are. As a result, that information can then inform how to get fitter or if you are very unfit, for example, how to start into a fitness journey. So I think a common mistake for people is they feel they need to be fit in order to do a fitness test, where in fact, the, the least fit people in our population um, have the biggest um, reduction in, in risk of cardiovascular disease, for example, by improving their fitness category by only two categories. So if you're sedentary, deconditioned, feeling very unfit, you're actually in the, the optimal group to do testing because we can then, I suppose, uh, inform your journey to, to getting two categories higher in fitness, which has a profound impact on your long-term health. So what about somebody like me then who has an obvious lean into health and wellness? Um, I would be very focused on moving my body. I'd be fairly consistent with the gym and strength training. What might I find? Could m- Might I have overestimated my fitness levels? Um, what you'll find, um, for example, your, your cardiorespiratory fitness, you'll get a number and that number will be specific to your age group. So for comparison, there's six categories. You'll be either ranging from very poor to superior in those six categories. And that will be, I suppose, decided by the, the, um, the measure around your oxygen. So um, gas exchange is what clinically measures your cardiorespiratory fitness. So you'll be in a mask for eight to 12 minutes doing some exercise on a bike, but you'll get a very clear picture on what level of fitness you are. And similarly then what heart rate zones you might need to train in in order to improve. So for someone who's familiar with activity like yourself, who's um, 
predisposed to movement enjoys it wants to go to the gym it's about tailoring your fitness program and, and personalizing it to, to make sure it's optimized so we can get you the ideal dosage of activity in your week okay does anything impact this like what i had for breakfast if i already worked out if i had a good night's sleep last night yeah all of the above um we don't i mean we can do we're not going to do lactate testing today typically you'd have to do some fasting in the period before that but for the battery of tests we're going to use today um there's no requirement to fast there's no requirement to to uh avoid certain foods or i mean ideally we'd like you to be somewhat hydrated but um yeah unfortunately it's like the rest of our lives sleep impacts what we do um our environment everything that's happened in the last 48 hours will have some impact on uh, your performance in the testing today but where, where we really want to um focus in on is that you get a baseline measurement now that you can use on an, on an annual basis so for a female um for example in her 40s you ought not to lose lean muscle mass by the time you're 50 where the trajectory is typically eight to ten percent loss of lean muscle for for females in their 40s so we're going to have a baseline measurement of these key metrics that we can then use to measure in the future and see are you maintaining your fitness all right well we give it a go what's first uh first up we do some blood pressure checks we do some very gentle uh, strength measurements they are very manageable um, and then we do a body composition uh, analysis okay right let's give it a go okay so we've just taken my blood pressure i have low blood pressure and it's interesting because quite often you go to a doctor's surgery you'll have the thing put on your arm um and you know they'll tell you if there's a problem obviously but you never really dive down into the numbers but you're telling me a little bit more we've three numbers in front of us here well what are they telling us so um you typically your blood pressure is measured you'll hear a number um like 140 over 85 or something like that the the upper number the 140 is called your systolic blood pressure and that measures the um the amount that your heart can the efficiency with which your heart can eject blood and send it all throughout the body the lower number then is the return of blood flow to the heart it's your diastolic blood pressure so the recommendations are your your numbers are between 120 to 130 in the in the systolic blood pressure and diastolic is 70 to 80. I'm at a 95, so is that yes. why I'm so chill? Yes, that's why you're so relaxed and chilled. Your systolic blood pressure. So in typically, every obviously every person is different. In your case, Claire, we know uh, from your medical history that you've, you've always had consistently low blood pressure, so it's not something of concern. Your numbers, however, are just, they are considered on the lower side. Um, 95 is low for sure so we've got to keep an eye out for things like your um your sleep quality your hydration how much food you've eaten um and make sure your energy levels are, are consistent throughout the day you mentioned that you're, you're typically a slow starter in the morning and that that rings true for where your your systolic blood pressure is so we, we just have to keep an eye on it when we're doing a, a maximal exertion type test later on uh, this morning like is it harder for me because my blood is flowing at a slower rate no it's so it's a measurement of um 
the, the pressure generated in the blood vessels. Typically, if that's too high, you're at risk of a, of a rupture in a blood vessel, which is a serious medical issue, or you can get uh, clotting in the blood vessels, which is a risk of stroke. So anyone who's got a very high systolic blood pressure has a significant increase in risk of stroke. The only uh, disadvantages of having very low systolic blood pressure is you can get, uh, people may have heard the word were hypos, where you, you, you lose consciousness or you faint and um we've got that's why we've got to be managing your your overall well-being around energy sleep hydration food intake um typically there aren't many significant health risks with low systolic blood pressure other than that so now we're moving on to hand grip yeah hand grip strength is a is a hugely impactful test because it has a direct correlation with your longevity and your life expectancy. So uh, the stronger your hand grip usually means the stronger your overall condition is. So if you've got very weak uh, hand grip, it usually means you're frail, you've got low lean muscle, um, you're more predisposed to falling, you've a higher risk of uh, cardiovascular disease. So it's a very uh, simple measurement with, again, with age-related data that we can compare your strength levels with your peer group. Okay, I'm terrified now. <laughs> just give it, just squeeze it as hard as you can and we'll work out from there. Oh the other thing is general, general fitness, strength and conditioning training of any type improves your hand grip. You don't need to go out there and strengthen the grip. Okay, you don't need to be squeezing balls. Exactly, no. so this is a measure uh, really for your vitality and your longevity and it, it shows how strong and fit you are typically very deconditioned people will have a low hand grip uh, and people who are fit and healthy will have a high hand grip right give us a go right so i've done my grip you're going to take an average you've written that down you haven't said anything except hopefully my longevity is good nothing nothing crazy came up there um now we're going to test what so we're going to test your lower limb strength, specifically around the hips, knees and ankles and the major muscle groups in your, in your legs. Um, we measure that digitally. What we're actually looking for is asymmetry or discrepancies from one leg to the other. So if there's a difference in strength less than 10%, that's normal and that's considered very good. If there's a significant difference, which is above 10, maybe above 15% in particular, it's, it's not a good prognosis for the longer term health in that joint. So we, typically we would see that with, with populations where they've had an injury, a surgery, maybe arthritic change in a joint. Um, there may be anything from 20% plus differential there, which we need to address then in terms of strength and conditioning and rehabilitation. Okay, so I've just had my height and my weight checked and it's also body composition because it's not necessarily what you weigh but it's what your body's made up of is that what you said yeah claire the 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 body composition is exactly what you're composed of so uh, bmi is sometimes a helpful metric to use but can be quite crude um so in terms of your overall body composition we're measuring your body fat percentage your visceral fat percentage, which is the fat around your internal organs, particularly in the abdominal cavity. Um, we're measuring your lean muscle mass, your bone mass, 
and a thing called your basal metabolic rate, which is the ideal amount, of, the amount of calories that you burn at rest. So we can get some really interesting readings here, Claire. Your lean muscle is above average for a female in your age group, which is hugely positive news. Your body fat percentage is within desired norms and, and limits. So they're really two really important uh, metrics that should uh, encourage you and please you in that um, in the female population across the whole spectrum for females in their 40s and um, typically having above average muscle mass isn't the norm so you're outside the norm there in a good way 10 seconds there 5 4 3 2 1 okay okay so the mask is off i'm off the bike what's the verdict so the verdict is good by definition um there are six categories to measure your cardiorespiratory fitness they range from very poor to superior you're in the good category so your vo2 max is 33.4 milliliters per kilogram per minute is the metric uh, ultimately that means your fitness levels are good for your age group you're in the 68th percentile still want to be an excellent but sure look at but that's okay and and now you know your numbers we can design a program for you that improves that vo2 max through strength training aerobic training by getting out and walk and doing low level activity as well so there's a multitude of things you can do uh, to improve fitness but at least knowing what your baseline numbers are now gives us a really good idea on how we tailor your program where you do it in your local gym or with your personal trainer and so on and tell me what you said earlier because like look improving your fitness and your mobility and your strength is all good we've discussed that but mm. you said the real difference can come from people who find themselves at the bottom of that table in the poor or very poor yeah um, the, the literature is 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 unequivocally showing that people who are very deconditioned and very very unfit um, if they climb two categories in terms of their fitness measurements which and that can be done in a six to twelve week period they can reduce their risk of cardiovascular disease between 30 and 50 percent so you get a profound impact um, as a result of getting a little bit fitter when you're very unfit and actually it starts to level off after that people who are moderately fit or a good level of fitness becoming excellent yes that's that's a help and it does improve your your overall you know um quality of life for example but not as profoundly as the very unfit population who get a little bit fitter they're reduced from a public health point of view it's hugely impactful these, these people would be less time in hospital less time with the doctor less medication and um, better quality of life and so we as a medical exercise clinic i suppose we're trying to push this ever uh difficult to target is to get unfit people doing fitness testing because the common belief is i ought to be fit in order to do fitness testing and it's quite the opposite the testing gives you a chance to understand how you get a little bit better and the knock-on effects for your overall health and well-being um, is huge and look there's no judgment like you know life is busy we've got you know people where in a couple both have to work to pay a mortgage people are juggling family life work life it's an always-on culture we have a sedentary lifestyle 
you know, it can happen to anyone. There isn't any judgment around laziness or anything like that. And I, I just think we need to change the conversation sometimes. Anybody can get unfit at any time in their life. Uh, absolutely. In fact, I would say it's the norm. Um, well, I think what we've seen in, in the last 20 years in, in terms of the scientific measurement is there's a divergence. There's people who've become extremely fit, who, uh, you know, the general population were probably all in the 1970s at a reasonable level of fitness. Now we're seeing this divergence where a small percentage of the population are super fit and a high percentage of the population are very much below uh, recommended fitness levels. And I think that's to do with our environment, our lifestyle, um, convenience in terms of food, um, the type of work we do, uh, the cost of living. So the norm is to be unfit. All we're trying to achieve here is to get those unfit people a category or two higher it's manageable within about 12 weeks to establish a new baseline and to just try and maintain that through sensible activity so it's it's very achievable love to get that message out there that yeah it's not for elite athletes okay let's all get average yeah let's all get average and be an amazing return yeah Yeah. brilliant well andrew thank you for putting me through my paces today really interesting actually and i'm glad that you know my time keeping an eye on this kind of thing and and prioritizing it in my life has paid off so thank you my pleasure thanks so there you go i was quite happy with that in a good place but still work to do it took me ages to get back into going to the gym after covid and switching to home workouts i didn't know what i wanted to do or what i had the energy for but i've been consistent and it's only recently like i said at the start of the show that it's kicked back in as something I enjoy doing as opposed to something I feel I have to do. It can take time and I've never come away from a workout regretting it. Um, And there are times where I know I need rest and I don't push through, but we're all at different levels at different times in our life, in our week, in our month. So do what you can. And as you heard from Andrew there, you don't have to look a certain way to get a fitness test. For more, go to personalhealth.ie. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer Aoife Breen and to Hugo De Silva Scott who was on sound and thanks as ever to you for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna Sunday morning at 8 on News Talk.